Hello, 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 and welcome to the Blue Oval Podcast. I am your host, Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, the Stride Report's altruistic despot, Garrett Zetlin. How's it going, man? Dude, it's it's going well, but the problem is, like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and, and now we're just getting to a point where I'm, like, actually really impressed. I was really curious what you were going to throw at me today, and... That, that was definitely something I was not expecting, mainly because I don't know what it means, but uh, we'll, we'll move on from here. Uh, the, the, the thesaurus search is definitely getting uh, further yeah. and further down uh, the line. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting thin, so we'll, I'm sure. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're uh, happy to be back for episode three, a uh, packed action of running this past weekend that we will dive into along with a loaded mailbag. Thank you to everyone who keeps sending in questions. Uh, we'll get into uh, all your questions and ha- hopefully have some good answers for you towards the end of the podcast. But first, I think we have to start out with talking about one of the biggest regular season upsets that I can remember, the Utah women taking home the win beating Colorado. I I mean, I can't really think of too many other big regular season upsets because that's not really something we usually talk about a lot, but this has to be up there, right? It was, I, I said this in our first thoughts article, but I think this was probably the biggest cross country upset since Tiernan took down Chez back in 2016. I mean, I, I personally can't remember an upset like this. Um, I mean, you know, the Syracuse men beating Colorado back in, gosh, who knows when I forget what that year was, 2015 maybe it was, but I, I mean, there are very few upsets that, that were as big as this one. I mean, this was monumental. Utah wasn't even ranked, and to beat the number two Colorado team was mind-blowing. Yeah, I looked at the results after the race, and I thought there was an error or something because I did not have Utah on my radar at all. I figured Colorado would take home the win, and to see them number two right after was just mind-blowing and, and like you said i it, it do, did remind me of that that tiernan Chez because you, i mean i remember where i was on that day and where i was watching just because like it was so unexpected and it really kind of shook uh me as one of the core tenets of running was if Chesarek is in the ncaa ra- ncaa race he's going to win um, and so for that to that to happen, it was it was just shook shook at all my foundations. But at the same time, this Utah win to beat Colorado, and we'll talk about maybe how Colorado were missing a few women. It's just another just thrilling uh, per, another thrilling team to add to our list of top ten caliber teams in the country on the women's side. And we also got just a, another huge upset to talk about and to look back on in the next few years. And looking for, but looking forward, Utah is a team that suddenly put itself in the top ten picture and someone that we're going to have to keep a close eye on. How did how did they surprise us like this, Garrett? What what what, what do you think? Um, we'll talk about kind of the their big top three in a little bit. But how did how did how did we get so surprised by this team? Well, I think part of it goes 
they saw that we had ranked them number 25 in the country <laughs> earlier in the preseason, and they were saying, well, the Stride Report ranked us there. We have to be better. That's clearly what happened in this instance. Obviously. Yes, of course, obviously. But no, uh, in, in reality, you know, I think the, the fact of the matter is that they had a lot of really good, underrated young talent last year that was still in the development stage. Uh, Scarlett Dale, Bella Williams being uh, a few of those pieces. They didn't have Poppy Tank. She was redshirting in 2018. She was a veteran low stick for the team. She returned, placed 16th. And then Serafini really broke out this past indoor and uh, outdoor season in the 2018-2019 academic calendar. And she was phenomenal. And she placed 19th in that race. And suddenly, all, all of a sudden, when you start piecing these, these pieces of the puzzle together, you have a very, very strong team. But even then, I mean, I don't... I mean, did, uh, my question is like, did Utah even expect this? I mean, <laughs> I, were were they even expecting to run this well? I mean, it was so mind blowing, right? Even if they had beaten expectations, no one no one could have predicted that they were going to beat expectations by this much. Uh, funny funny side story, and this this might tell you how well my particular race went at Joe Piani, but as I was running along one of the corners of the course. There was an eruption of cheers as I was passing by from a group of uh, women, uh, I think. And I couldn't tell what team it was. I couldn't tell if they were cheering, but it seemed like they were not cheering for any runners, but they had just <laughs> been cheering as if they had heard some big news. And I just was surprised to see that. Didn't really know what to think of it. Didn't obviously think about it for very long because I was in the middle of a race. But now that as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that it was definitely the Utah women finding out that they had won the race and beat Colorado and that they were, I, I mean, I had to assume that they were that excited because they were that surprised that they actually had a chance at winning. It is, it, it's just so, it, I just, no one could have expected this, right? I mean, no one could have thought that a team that was in some people's rankings outside the top 30, maybe, um, and then beating the number two team in the country all by without Emily Venters, without Emily Covert, you know, there are exceptions to this, but I mean, still, I mean, wow. I mean, who, who would have like, no one, no one could have expected this. Yeah. Let's jump into uh, the rest of the talking about the rest of the field at Joe Piani Invitational, obviously the men and women's fields were loaded, but let's uh, go through the rest of the top, uh, the leaderboard for the women's side, Utah, as we have mentioned, Got the win with 110 points. Six points behind was Colorado. In second, third was a big race from Florida State in 129 points. NC State was four, and Washington women were five. Winnie Kalati taking the win over Alicia Monson. Uh, the Florida State women behind the Utah women have to be the second biggest story of the weekend. Yeah, I mean... We saw, or at least we were talking about the Ole Miss women and the Florida women. You know, those are going to be the two big, you know, Titans of the South region. And Florida State, yeah, man, maybe sure they'll be good. Um, but no one, oh, let, me, let me rephrase this. I don't think we expected, um, at least on the TSR side, Florida State to be this good. Um, Maudie Skyring was phenomenal, 17th place finish. They had a handful of other runners between, I think, 34th and, and 17th. Um, the big thing in this is that Lauren Ryan, that Villanova transfer, 
steps up huge, right? They would not have had a reliable number five runner there had Lauren Ryan not transferred. And she gives this team a complete scoring five and makes them super relevant on the national stage. It was uh, a really, really strong performance from them. And I'm just looking at the results right now. They had the best number five of anyone in the field, which is a startling display of depth from a team that we didn't really expect to be top 20, top 25 caliber team. And when you look at that South region, they beat their fellow uh, South region competitor Ole Miss by over 150 points. And it really seems like it's going to be a two, two-person two race for that, those two automatic bids out of the South region. But looking, looking at the teams they beat, like NC State, Washington, Wisconsin, I mean, this is suddenly a team that has to be feeling like it could be a top 15 team at nationals after uh, making it to nationals last year, but not having the greatest performance. Like you said, with the addition of Lauren Ryan, they're going to be one of those top teams now this year. Yeah. And maybe even 15 is, is maybe not even generous enough. I mean, they could probably even flirt with the top 10. Now we, we have them, I think at around 16th in our current rankings. Um, but that could very easily change. And I think we're more just placing them at 16th now just because we want to be cautious to see what they could do later in the season. But you made a great point. I didn't even realize that they had the best number five runner in the entire field. I mean, that is extremely, extremely impressive. Um, And it really kind of tells me that, hey, they've got a tight pack. They're going to do well in these large races. Um, And as long as they don't have anyone drop off after their number five runner, and then this is going to be a team that's going to do well in these large races. They're going to keep their scoring generally intact. They're not going to let excessive point scoring get the best of them. So um, overall, strong performance, only 13 points behind Colorado, uh, you know, on the right day and a few certain things happening. Who knows? Maybe it's the Seminoles and the, at the number two spot. Yeah, absolutely. And looking looking further down the field, I think New Mexico actually had a sneaky, solid race even without Adva Cohen, who's obviously coming back from World Championships, with their fifth runner being pretty far back. They put together a decent seventh-place finish, beating uh, Notre Dame and Minnesota Ole Miss teams that are all very solid. While we don't really know what we're going to be getting back from Cohen, what New Mexico is going to be getting back from Cohen, it does seem like they're going to be in pretty good shape seeing as they're three and four from this race put together solid races yeah and and that's a great point i mean this is a team where you know if adva cohen steps in and she finishes 10th if she finishes 15th you know i think you're looking at a squad that theoretically wins the meet or at least makes it close i mean i'm just doing the numbers off the top of my head but in theory it makes this meet pretty close and new mexico gets the win um now this wasn't again a a perfect race from anyone uh at least you know not not many teams in this race had a perfect race but uh new mexico did very very well you know they don't have much depth after their number five runner on paper i mean uh you know there are four runners in this finished inside the top 50 uh, but their fifth runner was 92nd place. You put in Advoco in there. New Mexico has a very, very solid scoring five, but it drops off pretty significantly. So assuming Cohen comes in and she's the low stick that we think she can be, New Mexico's still very much in that title conversation. And this was actually a very low-key, strong race for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking at um, more of the individual race, 
we we gave a lot of uh, credit to the Michigan freshman calling Erica Vanderland the uh, face of the NCAA. So I think we gotta <laughs> give uh, Melanie Smart of Washington that's some that same kind of credit. Fourth place finish ahead of Edna Kurgat, Anna Rohr, Bailey Hernstein, to name a few. She's just started the season on fire, and it looks like she's going to be continuing that for the next few years. Yeah, she's going to be a really big major force. The fact that she's doing this with such limited experience, I mean, it's it's really impressive. Like you said, taking down Edna Kurgat, taking down Anna Rohr, Kelly Logue, Ellie Hannes, uh, I mean, Bailey Hardenstein of Indiana had a great race in her own right. She's been this own breakout star, but I mean, Melody Smart has been just crushing it and she gives Washington that extra edge they need at the front running aspect and is making them relevant while Lily Burden kind of gets into shape and she'll likely break out during the postseason. So um, Washington, really, really key team to watch when all of their best runners are running their best races. Looking again at the individual race, we, we haven't talked too much about that. I think Winnie Kaladi obviously is the favorite, but Taylor Werner has been running really well for Arkansas. Did you did what Winnie Kaladi did at uh, Joe Piani really change your mind, um, make you feel any better about her chances at Nationals? I mean, beating uh, Alicia Monson, who also could be a top five favorite by 12 seconds, uh, makes you, I think, makes me at least feel a lot better about uh, her chances of not getting caught like she did by Danny Jones last year. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really difficult balance. I think we kind of had these same thoughts last year, right? When we were yeah. saying that Wayne Kalati was was going to be the clear favorite in the race, and that if she ran away from the field, chances are she was going to be, you know, around there at the end. And you know, gosh, I. I feel like it's probably the same story this year, but that doesn't mean that someone you know can't keep it close in a tactical race and kick her down at the end. Um, we've seen how Kalati, she'll get to these championship races, and maybe we kind of overestimate her a little bit. Um, she's still strong. She's still a favorite, but I don't know if she's an absolute guaranteed lock. I think she's the clear-cut favorite. I just I don't know if I'm super convinced that she she can't be beaten. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. It, it is interesting looking at the splits, how how far ahead she was at 4K. She was 16 seconds ahead of Monson uh, going into that 4K. Uh, Monson finishing strong to uh, take take over uh, Anna Rohr, who was Kaladi's main challenger throughout most of the race. Um, any other teams or individuals uh, surprise you or maybe a little uh, underwhelming from you? Um, at least on the women's side, when I take a look at these, uh, Bailey Hardenstein at seventh place, the Indiana sophomore, the Hoosiers had graduated so much firepower and bringing in another low stick, you know, even if the team is still going to be rebounding and, and rebuilding this year, really, really key performance from, from her there. Seventh place is a huge, strong individual finish. And then in terms of the, the team race, Minnesota putting together a really solid ninth place finish without the has twins which is huge kind of shows them that they have a lot more depth and a lot more um you know scoring ability outside of those two which is a great sign for next year as i'm pretty sure they return everyone in 2020 and then the Ole Miss women kind of surprising uh, they they ran exactly how we thought they would with their depth 
But the women that we thought were going to step up and be low sticks and give them an edge in the scoring didn't run all that well. I think their top finisher in the team scoring was 43rd place, and that puts them at 10th place overall. I think there's a lot of upside with this team, but they don't have that front-running scoring edge that we were maybe hoping they would have. Um, so not not saying they can't rebound, but I just thought they could have done a little bit better in this race. Yeah, I, I agree from the um, women's perspective. Ole Miss, I, I think we, I think they still didn't race Cleo uh, Ozan Jacques, it looks like, um, or at least she didn't finish uh, as high up as we would expect her to. So I think I think we could see still see them improve significantly. But your point on Minnesota is is well taken. I kind of wrote them off after seeing the announcement that the Haas twins were going to be redshirting. But this race really does cement uh, them as a top two favorite, the Midwest Midwest region, to qualify for NCAA's and just to get to the the national championships. I think for this year is a big achievement for the Minnesota team, and like you said, will bode really well for them to get that experience when it comes to next year. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and they'll be really really solid next year. I mean, when you add in two runners who are going to be near the front of each and every race. I mean, man, that's going to be pretty, pretty scary to think about. So, you know, if this year isn't the year for the Golden Gophers, then 2020 certainly will be. Moving on to the men's side, uh, Colorado took the win convincingly over Ole Miss. And third place was NC State. Fourth was Purdue. Fifth, Notre Dame. Vincent Kiprop and Gilbert Keegan taking down the first two spots with Joe Klecker right behind them. Colorado, uh, I think, may have heard our tenth uh, or eleventh place ranking and made a quite of a statement, putting <laughs> uh, just seventy-one points in a loaded field, having five people within the top twenty-six for team scoring. A massively impressive uh, finish. We knew their top three were good, but having um, their other guys, Sean Harrison and Alex Hornecker, to step up and provide them with two other top 26 finishes, huge, huge performance for Colorado and gives them a ceiling much, much higher than any of us would have imagined coming into the season. Yeah, they were really impressive. And I think we knew that they still could be competitive. We, I think we knew that there were going to be guys who could probably step up, but I don't think we expected a true freshman in Kashawn Harrison to finish 18th in his season, well, not his season debut. I think they already ran to the Wyo invite, but really in his first actual test, to finish 18th in that kind of field is monumentally huge. I mean, they had Joe Klecker in third, John Dressel 10th, uh, Eduardo Herrera 14th, Kashawn Harrison 18th, four men inside the top 20 and then Alec Horniker still in 26th place. Yeah. Ooh, excuse me, place, excuse me. Um, but to have those top five inside the top 26, really impressive. And and even if I think everyone except if, if Klecker and Dressel still had finished the race and then if someone else inside that top five had dropped out, they still would have, uh, would have taken home, you know, taken home the win there. So a really impressive performance. They have the front running. They have good enough depth, and uh, they're going to be a major problem for other podium teams. Yeah, I mean, like you said, even if they missed someone, they would have been all right because Gabe Fendel ran a pretty solid race 
46th uh, place finish for him in uh, 24-12. Another good sign for the Buffalo's depth. The the team right behind him, Ole Miss, this was kind of a perfect race for them, flat course for a bunch of middle-distance runners, and they just stacked the field between 12 and 32, putting five guys in that range. Uh, Leading the way was... um, Farah Abdul Karim with um, with Waleed Suleiman right behind him, a really impressive performance. Don't want to get too excited about the Rebels, seeing as like I mentioned before, this was a perfect race and it set up really well for them. But with their talent and the way they're running right now and the confidence they have to have after this performance, they could be really dangerous come November. Yeah, I mean, like we've said before, and we mentioned this in the preview, we mentioned this in the first thoughts, we mentioned this in the team rankings. You know, this this Joe Piani invite course is very flat, very easy. It's it's very easy to get going really fast on this course. So for Ole Miss to kind of be able to utilize their speed in the best way possible despite the long distance, I mean, they really took full advantage of it, and they earned a huge runner-up finish now despite the course still being in their favor in terms of how it's set up i mean let's let's not dismiss the fact that they just outran their competition right far abdul kareem and walid suleiman key 12th and 17th place finishes but the three four five were so incredibly clutch i mean Cade bethman in 22nd mario garcia romo 24th parker scott 32nd i mean if i had told you that those guys were all going to be in the top 32 I mean, would, would anyone have really, I mean, I don't want to say have believed me, but, you know, to say that they were all going to be in the top 32 on the same day, man, I, I don't know if I would have expected the, the same thing. I mean, that was really just impressive pack team running. They, they kept their spread pretty, pretty tight and they made sure there were very minimal gaps uh, between that top five. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this maybe to you earlier in the year, but Parker Scott coming back from injury, he, he seemed to be injured all of last year after having a, a very impressive freshman season for Ole Miss. Having him come back and him sliding into that fifth spot, and frankly, if they didn't have him, there was a huge drop-off from fifth to sixth. He was re- He's really the key guy to be watching because if he can continue to get back into the groove of things and run like he has in the last two uh, meets here at Joe Piani and at, previously at Commodore Classic, I think he's going to be a huge piece for Ole Miss as they try to continue moving moving up the rankings. Yeah, he's an underrated steeplechaser, and he just brings a lot of stability in terms of scoring when he's healthy. And for him to close out that back end is, is really clutch. Um, now, I do wonder how the Rebels will handle you know, more difficult, hillier, uh, more challenging course, specifically in Terre Haute. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's a really just generally strong performance. Hopefully, they can have their number six and number seven close the gap a little bit. But generally speaking, um, pretty pretty strong performance. The race for third was pretty tight between NC State, Purdue, and Notre Dame, just ten points behind NC State as well. So we don't want to take too much uh, out of saying NC State came third, seeing as how close it was. But, I mean, for the Wolfpack, big, big performance, beating Purdue and Notre Dame teams that I don't think 
any of us expected them to be. I was pretty high on NC State coming into the season. I thought with JP Flavin coming in, I really like Ian Shanklin as their as a low stick. But to see them come in and finish third in a stacked race, beating Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin on their way as well, I really like this NC NC State team, and I think that this with the way they improved last year throughout the regular season into the postseason. I think we could see the same thing happen this year, but they've just started from a much further ahead point this year. Yeah, that's a great point. Shanklin, seventh place finish, better than we expected. JP Flavin had a much bigger impact in 26th place, much better than we expected. And then guys really just keeping the scoring at a minimum. Um, Hans Berger and um, Gavin Gaynor and Joe Bistritz. I mean, they really did a really solid job at closing down that scoring. And, you know, granted, there was a pretty significant gap. It was Colorado way ahead, and then big drop-off, Ole Miss, and then another big drop-off at NC State. But collectively, really strong performance from the Wolfpack. They just put together all the right pieces of the puzzle. They didn't really show any vulnerabilities. And, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily the most exciting performance, but they got the job done. And generally speaking, their depth and their complete top five paid off for them uh, it worked out yeah and purdue purdue ran a pretty solid race a little bit of a drop off for them at their five man but again it was that top three jared carpenter kurt Eckstein, um just putting in very good performances nearly uh getting that third place finish only a point behind nc state i think you mentioned in the rankings it was really hard for you to keep them out of the top 10 but I think they're going to be knocking on the door by the season's end. Yeah, I, I really, really wanted to put them in the top 10, mainly because they've already proven themselves at John McNichols. And Tyler Bowling in that race was 17th at John McNichols. In this race, I think he was, gosh, 92nd, was it? Was he Was he 95th? I have to go back and double check. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But you go back and you look at those results and you're thinking, man, there's a lot of really good upside here for Purdue, despite having their top three finish all inside the top 20. I mean, that top three is now maybe one of the best racing trios in the country outside of, you know, the podium squads. I mean, this is a really, really strong, uh, you know, Purdue team. And I think they can very, I don't want to say easily, but very convincingly take home the Big Ten title. They need a fix that that bottom half of their lineup but it's not a bad bottom half either they've got really respectable pieces they're still young there's a lot of room for growth and if they can all run well on the same day purdue is a really really difficult team to beat yeah absolutely i i think beating indiana michigan and wisconsin will definitely be a big confidence boost for them going into the big 10 championships looking at notre dame one thing i did notice um with Notre Dame is that Daniel Kilry coming in 80th position, normally one of their top one or two guys with Yair and Nagusi. I did hear that uh, Daniel Kilry did fall during the race, so I do think that is part of it. Um, but still, a little bit of a disappointing performance from Notre Dame. You add Kilry back up there, they're suddenly in third, maybe even challenging for second. But Nothing to keep, nothing to sound the alarm bells off, but on their home course, would have expected a little bit better from the Irish. Yeah, and you look at their first three runners. I mean, Nagus and Jacobs and Andrew Alexander 
they ran really, really well. I mean, I think they had, what, three guys in the top 23, was it? Yeah, top yep. 23. I mean, it was generally really solid race for them. And then, you know, had Kilrayat not fallen or had he at least just generally, you know, performed better, this team moves up. He, they, they jump ahead of the third-place team. They earn that third-place spot. And then, oh, by the way, Matthew Carmody, who in the open race ran 24-10, that puts him around the 40th-place spot in this race. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at Notre Dame kind of flirting with Ole Miss for that second spot. So there's still a lot of potential upside and room to grow. Anthony Williams, he kind of you know was a bit further back. We think that he can be a little bit better. Um but you know, generally speaking, Notre Dame, not a bad performance, generally pretty solid. But if they want to be the podium team that we think they can be, that they think they can be, that others think they can be, this needed to be a little bit better. Like you said, no reason to sound the alarms, but hey, maybe something to watch going forward. Um, I do think they will be better. It's just a matter of how much better they'll be. Yeah, I mean, you you throw Dan Ray in there and I really do. I am impressed by Dylan Jacobs' run. He's looked really good so far this year. If he can get into that mix with uh, Nagus and Kilray, then I think Notre Dame has a really potent top three and even a top four with the way Andrew Alexander's running. So they really just need, and with all their depth, they, they're going to have a five or six guy step up in a big way. So while it may be a concerning sign in the short term, I do think in the long term with Jacobs' performance in particular, I think that's a really good sign for Notre Dame going forward to the end of this year, but also um, over the next two years, him and Danny Kilray, plus the freshman that they have coming in this year and last year, a really good foundation for Notre Dame moving forward. Yeah, and, and they did. They just generally had a, a really solid race overall. We, we shouldn't harp too much on on what went wrong solid performance they'll do well they're a team of the future it's a smart move i don't want to say it's a i don't think we know whether that was a smart move yet but i can totally understand the idea of redshirting carter cheeseman and jake winfrey uh this fall in order to kind of prepare them for hey next year you guys are still going to have eligibility and we're still going to bring back Nagus. We're still going to bring back Kilrea. We're still going to bring back uh, Dylan Jacobs. And then all of a sudden, this is a team that becomes very, very exciting, maybe even more exciting than the sixth place ranking we gave them uh, this preseason. Absolutely. Looking at a few surprise teams, Eastern Kentucky 9th, Florida State 10th, really good finishes from both of those two squads. EKU running, out, running without James Segura, who I think is still coming back from injury from last uh or last spring or last winter um they brought in a new freshman ezekiel kabichi who stepped right in uh, on the florida state side casey neville Bard leading the way but also a really strong run from paul stafford uh two teams that were a little bit on the fringe of the national picture putting themselves in top 10 positions at the Joe Piani, beating Iowa, Wyoming, Gonzaga, other teams that are kind of angling for those last few qualifying spots. A really big performance for them, getting them some much-needed Colossus points possibly and putting them in a good position psychologically and in terms of the Colossus point situation to be ready for nationals. Yeah, I mean, that was a really big performance for both teams, Florida State specifically, because that South region is stacked. If if Alabama, and, and we'll maybe get to Alabama momentarily, maybe not, but if Middle Tennessee State is as good as we think they are, 
Ole Miss is as good as we think they are. If Alabama can somehow find some supporting scores in the middle of that lineup, you know, if Kip Sang and if Noel Rotich actually race this season, you're looking at a lot of really good teams in the South region. And it's going to be really, really difficult for Florida State to kind of find a top two spot. So they're going to need those coal loss points, right? Let's, you know, let's say that Georgetown, they finish in the top of their region. Uh, who knows, maybe Florida State can get a point there. Maybe Wyoming, maybe Gonzaga, maybe Alabama. But those are all still really interesting fringe teams that we don't even know if they're going to be part of the national picture come November. Um, so good race for Florida State. Don't know how much of an impact it truly has, but Eastern Kentucky, they were really, really impressive. They had two freshmen leading the way, a sophomore as their number three uh, number three runner, and then another freshman as their fourth runner. They are super young. They didn't even run James Segura. They're going to be arguably just as dangerous as Notre Dame is going to be in 2020. Uh, I would not be happy if I was a conference or regional rival that has to deal with the Colonels for the next you know, two or three years. Yeah, thanks thanks for rubbing that in. I, I know our <laughs> Belmont squad was really psyched about that performance from EKU. Right. But props to them. Really, really good performance. We'll, we'll look forward to racing them at conference in a few weeks. Uh, looking at a few teams that may be a little underwhelming, Wyoming and Gonzaga, this was kind of a race where they needed to score some points to help them in their quest to get back to nationals. And just a, wasn't quite enough um, in 13th and 14th position. They, the back end of their lineups just didn't give them quite enough scoring potency. Started out strong, especially with Wyoming's top three, but after that uh, hit some road bumps. And I know we had Wyoming ranked pretty high. We moved them back a few spots this week. But, I, I mean, I'm pretty worried about their chances at making nationals now just out of that deep mountain region. They really needed Coloss points here, and maybe they'll still pick up some a few of them, but this was a big missed opportunity. Yeah, last year they had a great top three. They had a good enough number four, and then the drop-off came at five. But this year they don't really have that number four, and the drop-off just got bigger. And the top three is solid. They had three runners inside the top 40, but I also look at that top three and I thought, well, Paul Roberts could have run better. You know, Harry Ewing could have run better. Christopher Henry could have run better. I think there was a lot of points that they could have shaved off with each of those men. And then there's also just a a massive gap that needs to be closed and figured out. I do think that they can be better. I do think that they can shave off a ton of points from each of their five scores. Um, So I do think there's a lot of potential upside, but it does show you where this team is generally weak. And they'll rally. They'll find a way to, to make up that ground. I mean, they were... What, only six points behind Iowa? Jeez, uh, they were, I think, less than 20 points. Or was it not? I'm trying to do quick math is stuff. Yeah, 20 points, 30, you know, 30 points away from Georgetown. Um, you know, Florida State. I mean, they were all within range, within striking distance of some of these teams. So not not great, but at least they can generally, you know, make up some ground later in the season. Yeah, I. It's not. You don't have to sound the alarm bells, but again, missed opportunity could have been a good chance for them to pick up a few coloss points. They didn't, and again, not the end of the world, but something to keep an eye on uh, over the next few weeks as they'll need to run 
uh, significantly better to make sure that they at least position themselves well going into regionals. Uh, looking at uh, after the Joe Piani Invitational, there was a few other uh, meets with some interesting competitions. The Paul Short Invitational, Utah State on the men's side took home the win. Penn was number two. Three was Adam State. Alex Masai of Hofstra taking the win with Jake Brophy coming in second. Uh, pretty dominant performance from Utah State, and Utah State could be a team that we could be talking about as a bubble team to make NCAAs this year. Yeah, I mean, they ran really, really well. Um, and, and the really big thing here is that they beat Penn, Navy, and Army. Um, those are all three teams that could maybe possibly sort of be in contention for an All-American, uh, not an All-American, excuse me, uh, for a top two spot in their region, which means that Utah State could be in a position where maybe they actually scored a Colos point in a race that's generally not as competitive as maybe what you saw you know, at, at other races around the country. Um, but really solid performance. Six men inside the top 20. Um, they they won by almost 100 points, I think 98 points. Um, that was just generally pretty solid. Um, but Ben, we got to talk about what happened with Army. You know, this, this team that just was at second place at Beantown and all of a sudden they dropped to seventh putting up almost 300 points yeah I I I was looking at the Paul Short uh invitational results this weekend I just could not make any sense of of what I was looking at between the different teams that were being thrown around the individual results I I just I I really I don't know what to take from this the the times were really fast, but we 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 just didn't see certain teams that we expected to run well run nearly as well as we thought they could have. And I don't know if it's just an off day, but I mean, Stony Brook was a little bit further back than kind of what I thought. Navy teams that, like we said, ran pretty well at Battle and Beatown, but got beat by Penn, Adam State. No shame in losing to them, the D two powerhouse, but. Again, not what we expected after strong starts from multiple of these teams. So, Ben, does what does this mean for Washington then? If if, if Washington, <laughs> I mean, like, look, I, I know we're kind of joking about it, right? But like, kind of, kind of trying to put this in perspective, it maybe it really was just that bad of a race for Washington. Maybe it was just a weird off day. Maybe they were working out or, or tempoing, because I mean, I. I mean, we we couldn't imagine Washington what finishing back in eighth in this kind of race. Like it, it just it just wouldn't make sense. No, yeah, I, I mean, if if you do use that transitive property, then it does look pretty dark for Washington. But I would say you can't we can't do that because running you never know on whatever day. Another team, Villanova, back in twelfth, obviously without Casey Comer again. But I get just I I don't I don't actually know I'll what... take that back. I'm going to interrupt you, Ben. Yeah, they did have Comer. Um, oh, did they? He, he did. He dropped back to 55th place, Oof. which is something we need to talk about. But um, they did not run most of their A lineup. They didn't run most of their varsity lineup. They had decided to save them actually uh, for a separate meet. They were uh, debuting Comer as well as um, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this name. Freshman Haftu Strintos. I'm so sorry if I butchered that <laughs> name. Uh, in 14th place, he was, so he he ran you know pretty decently. Well. Yeah, he did run well. So not a full A lineup, but let's talk about Comer dropping all the way back to yeah. 55th place. 
that I mean we kind of assumed that we were just he was resting and that Villanova was just waiting to debut him when the season went on but it seems like maybe he's working himself back from an injury and if that's the case he was dominant last year in that uh in his region at the Big East Conference he I mean he tore it up until he uh got to NCAAs and he still ran pretty well there and Villanova really needed him to be that kind of runner again this year to have a chance at NCAAs. And without him, I mean, the freshman performance um, from Strinsoff, very, very encouraging. But I don't think that's going to be enough if they don't have a Comer at full strength. It definitely opens the door. I still very much think that Villanova can put themselves in their conversation. But Princeton is going to be a probably a very difficult team to beat. They'll probably be top two in the region. And after we just saw from Georgetown, who I think just finished 11th at Joe Piani, I mean, I mean, is there really going to be a team that's going to be able to challenge either of those two programs? Probably not Navy, not after this performance. Villanova without Comer? Oof. I mean, pro- excuse me, probably not. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see. Penn? Uh, I mean, like all these teams where you're thinking, well, maybe if the right day happens, but it seems like the the window is narrowing of teams and it looks like Princeton and Georgetown, that mid Atlantic region are going to be the two teams to watch there. Yeah. And we can talk about Princeton, uh, tepoing in the open, uh, race at Paul short, uh, coach Jason vigilante, just going with the same strategy he did last year, keeping a low profile until the bigger meets at the end for regionals conference and NCAAs. I'm not sure if I agree with the strategy, but I do admire the boldness and the audacity to be able to do this his own way and not really care what anybody else thinks. It's an interesting decision. It's an interesting strategy. It just it, you just go to these invites and then just tempo. I I'm always very very confused by these kind of methods, but I mean, at the end of the day, they know that they can probably ease through the Ivy League championships. Um, they know that they can probably breeze through uh, the Mid-Atlantic region. I mean, none of that's really all that much of a concern. Um, what's interesting, though, is that it looks like this is like a really big all-in year for them and, you know, all-in as much as they can be, but they're not really redshirting any of their top guys. Uh, Cameron Fisher and Connor Nisbet and Jack Stanley, these star recruits that they brought in, looks like they're going to be racing those guys. Uh, Joshua Zellick uh, is another name I'm missing. Connor Livingston, pretty much all of their main uh, freshmen, uh, you know, Fad Nasser and Sebastian Fisher and Ethan Reese. I'm, I'm literally just listing all of their freshmen now, but I mean, they're, they're all running and, and they, you know, it looks like they're really trying to make this the best Princeton team that they've had in a while. And, it could pay off for them, although I do question what's going to happen when the freshmen are actually faced with very legitimate competition come conference and regionals and, and probably nationals. Yeah, absolutely. I, it will be, there'll definitely be a team to keep an eye on. As for the women's result, uh, Queen Universe, Queen's University took home the win on the women's side. Adam State was second, Penn was third, Georgetown all the way back in fifth. Another confounding uh, result coming from the Paul Short Invitational. Really don't know what to make of Georgetown or Villanova women by extension after this performance. It's, I, I mean, I, I just I just don't know. 
Uh, it's, it's just a really odd performance. Georgetown, for me, is what really sticks out. Princeton, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, Princeton for me was very much on the cusp of, well, they could either be really good or maybe they just kind of drop off. And I think we're kind of seeing that it might be the latter there. But Georgetown, you just looked at them and they so clearly trounced Penn State. They had Madame Perez. They had some really good depth. And just in a race where I wasn't necessarily expecting them to dominate, but at least be a little bit more competitive, I was just a little bit surprised that they dropped all the way back to fifth. Now, granted, second place was 23 points ahead, so it's not like there was some kind of huge gap. I mean, they were they were really tight with about four other teams, uh, but still kind of interesting. Who knows? Maybe they get a Colos point out of beating Princeton, um, but but we'll kind of see. I, I still don't really know what to make of it either. Yeah, I I'm I might just forget about the Paul Short Invitational because <laughs> I I don't I don't really know what to think about any of these results there. It's confounding to me, honestly. Let's let's move on to maybe some results that I do understand live in Lou uh, Louisville Classic men's results. MTSU taking home the win with Louisville and second Campbell in third. Not a whole lot to talk about here, but just another impressive performance from the MTSU men further cementing them as a top team in the South region and top, maybe a top 15 team in the country. Yeah. Middle Tennessee state. Look, they've got the firepower. They've got, you know, the complete top five, the top five was a little bit more spread out than I thought they should have been. Um, Generally speaking in terms of the teams and in terms of the general depth that I thought that this meet offered, I actually thought the Commodore classic was maybe a little bit deeper so to see this team go 2-3 and then 15-30th and 31st kind of surprised me a little bit. Wasn't necessarily expecting that. Kind of leads me to think that, hey, maybe Middle Tennessee State is um, you know, a little bit more vulnerable than maybe we, we thought they were. But generally speaking, solid win. Louisville, second place, not far behind. They're generally a strong squad of their own. I mean, they went 5th, 6th, 12th, 41st, 47th. We've got a really, really strong top three. Um, so nothing to really overreact to, but um, Middle Tennessee State, solid performance from them. I just kind of surprised that their back end dropped off a little bit more than I was expecting. Yeah, it, it certainly did. I, I think a, one silver lining from the race, though, is they did have a sixth man, uh, Titus Legat, who was at least within shouting distance of their uh, five and four men, which is a good sign, especially if they, for whatever reason, have a drop off from their uh, top from one of their top five guys. So that is, I think that's a good sign that their depth is a little bit better than we may have thought before. But other than that, um, I think that I think MTSU look fine. Maybe keep an eye on uh, Levo Masoto uh, or Mosito, um, sorry, and um, Hilary Camayo as they certainly did not run as well as they did at the Commodore Classic um, and see how they react as the season goes along. But looking looking at the women's side, just real quick, MTSU women took the win as well. Lipscomb were number two, Xavier three. Not a whole lot to react from um, this race from the women's side, but MTSU women looked pretty strong. Um, another quick race from them. Yeah, I mean, they put four inside the top 20. 
Unfortunately, that, that fifth runner is going to be a bit of an issue back in 66 uh, in the team scoring. But it looks like the Middle Tennessee State women kind of came out of nowhere. It looks like they were heavily built up on, on some really strong recent recruits and now going you know two three in that race really impressive pretty strong don't know how much of, of an impact they're going to have um you know on in the south region but um decent performance but nothing more i would take away from that yeah i mean with with georgia struggling and florida struggling a little bit maybe they can make a little noise there but i, I think with only two teams probably making it out of the south region not not anything too much too exciting to get uh to talk about but looking looking at uh, a last meet that we'll look at is the chili pepper cross country festival um pretty interesting race on the men's side um not exactly the results in terms of the team score that you would expect texas was one colorado mines two oklahoma state three um cameron griffith and gilbert boyd were one two but running an attached cameron griffith no longer has any eligibility for Arkansas. Gilbert Boyd, though, may be redshirting for Arkansas. Um, Oklahoma State didn't run a few of their top guys, notably Asaya Rodriguez. A very strange uh, collection of teams here. Got D1, D2, D3 all kind of stacked in there. Um, it was it was interesting to see where Texas and Arkansas fell first and fifth. Obviously, not teams not running at their full strength, but again, another a little bit of a confusing race to look at. It was very interesting. Um, you know, Texas, how good are they from this race? I don't really know. Um, it, it was kind of kind of a big mesh of a bunch of different performances. Um, Oklahoma State, I think this was a good glimpse into what their depth could offer. But frankly, I don't know if it was that great of a performance from their depth. I mean, their number two runner was 22nd. Their number three runner was 23rd in uh, in the team scoring. Um, in a field that was generally not that strong, at least not that strong up front. Uh, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that. But, um, you know, Oklahoma State is a team that we kind of thought was going to be a top 10 caliber team. And their depth is maybe not as great as we thought they could be. Uh, they're not bad by any means, but you know Alex uh, Meyer, who is uh, the true freshman, he was back in 57th running unattached. Looks like he's probably going to be redshirted this season. Um, so Oklahoma State kind of threw me off. I think obviously with Isaiah Rodriguez and uh, with Ryan Smeaton, uh, this team is obviously taking home the win, but kind of an interesting balance. Not really sure what to take away with it. And then Arkansas... Looks like Gilbert Boyd's going to be redshirting, but if he doesn't and he runs, then this team is in contention for the win, for the overall team win. Uh, I think my big takeaway from this is any team looking for some cold loss points just needs to follow around Arkansas and Texas because yeah. those two teams are going to make nationals, and I have no idea how good they are. I don't think they're top 25 teams. Maybe they are. Maybe they'll surprise us, but... Right now, they look like maybe top 35, top 40 teams even. And if you're one of those top 30, top 35 teams on the fringe there, boy, it would be nice to get a point or two from them. Um, looking at the women's race, though, a little bit more firepower from the Arkansas women who took home a dominant win over Texas and Virgi West Virginia finished third. 
ahead of Oklahoma State in fourth. Uh, Taylor Werner taking home the win again. Katie Izzo, Devin Clark looking very good once again ahead of Karina Villo, and, uh, who gave the Razorbacks one through four in the race. No um, Katrina Robinson, Lauren Gregory ran unattached in ninth place. So that's something to keep an eye on because Arkansas's fifth woman was Abby Gray back in 17th. And if Arkansas are going to be this uh, challenger for the national championship, the emergence of Izzo and Clark is huge, but they really do need at least one of Gregory or Robinson to come in and give them a shot. Yeah, I mean, that was that's the big thing that we're taking away from this. We haven't seen Katrina Robinson yet. Kind of a concern. There's been thoughts that maybe they're trying to get her back. And if they can't, look, and Katrina Robinson doesn't need to be an All-American, but she just needs to be good enough. She just needs to give them a, a viable number five option. Um, so we, we'll see what happens here. Lauren Gregory running, uh, granted, unattached. Um, that's a great sign. But if, if Gregory's out and if Robinson's out, then that number five position becomes a little bit iffy. Um, so the good news is that Gregory's back. Good news is that if she runs, which I, I think she probably will, I think it just makes sense. All she has to do is just be a good enough number five option, and then Arkansas is still in that team title conversation. Depth is a concern. It's not perfectly ideal, but uh, you know Arkansas is still in that title conversation with enough time and, and with their proper runners all healthy. Yeah, and I, I think based off of what we saw from uh, Colorado and some other top teams, New Mexico included, the the national championship, I mean, it's going to be pretty wide open for the women. And um, I think we'll be writing about this later in the week about how the podium is pretty wide open for the women as well. But I mean, whoever sits on top of the podium, that that's a pretty open question. So it doesn't look like you need to be perfect. And so having Katrina Robinson possibly out might be all right because that won't give Arkansas uh, their full squad, but they might have just enough to be able to hold off some of these other challengers. Yeah, yeah, and in Oklahoma State, let's talk about them. We had them ranked as a top 20 team, and they just struggled quite a bit. Fourth place overall, really strong, you know, one, two, finishing fifth and sixth overall, and then 35th, 41st, 42nd. I went through. I think this is probably their best squad, um, but I I think we tried to make an argument for them in the preseason rankings. Doesn't look too great. Not the most ideal performance. Um, maybe this is just a year where Oklahoma State is going to have to be on the sidelines, um, or at the very least, this is going to be a wide-open year in the Midwest region that's generally pretty open for anyone to take a top-two position. Um, and who knows? Maybe we don't see Oklahoma State women uh, inside that top-two. Yeah, I mean, it's wide open. We were talking about it earlier with Minnesota. Without the Haas twins, we thought maybe they would be vacating a position, but, I mean, it turns out maybe Oklahoma State will be. I mean, if you're in the Midwest, this is this is kind of your year if you want to make a jump into that top two ahead of those two established uh, powerhouses. Minnesota looks like they're going to be pretty strong, but to beat out Oklahoma State might be doable for one or two teams. So at the very least, you know, also Iowa State needs to be in that consideration. 
um, they didn't run perfectly. Uh, they weren't running a, a few of their top five scorers who, who could be in the equation later in the season, uh, at least not a Joe Piani. So um, kind of an interesting team to consider in this between Illinois, between Iowa State, between Oklahoma State, between Minnesota, you could have um, all four of those teams in contention for only two spots. Absolutely. Now, yeah, let's let's move to the mailbag portion of the podcast. Uh, we got in plenty of uh, questions from our uh, Instagram page. We appreciate everybody uh, sending in questions. We'll go through, kind of uh, separate them out through D1 and D2 questions. So we'll start with the D1 questions. Is Vincent Kiprop the number one pick for NCAAs right now, Garrett? Well, I can't... Oh, wait, actually, by the time this publishes... I'm trying to think. Hold on a sec. By the time, yeah, by the time this publishes, we'll actually have uh, the rankings out. But no, <laughs> no, the individual <laughs> rankings. Uh, you're going to find Edwin Kerr got uh, still at the number one spot. But Vincent Kiprop could very easily be in that title conversation. Um, I, I don't know if he's by any means a guarantee. Um, I think he could be a pick to win. I don't think there's necessarily a key favorite, but good solid win for him. But I don't necessarily think that this was anything we were uh, you know, not expecting. He'll probably be at the number two spot um, when we finalize those rankings and publish them on Monday night. I think this is coming out Tuesday morning, which is what we usually do. Yeah, I, I think Kip Rob's performance validates that he's back in terms of health and fitness and that he certainly is a top challenger, but Edwin Kurgott hasn't done anything that would make us think that he's not the number one guy right now. Agreed. Moving on to second question. Thoughts on Colorado State men at Notre Dame? Whew, uh, this is uh, not an ideal performance for them. Um, and, and I really hate to say that because generally speaking, I'm such a f- you know big fan of, of what this team has done over the past few years. Um, Art Seamers is one of the most underrated best coaches in the NCAA. His ability to make Colorado State just an average team to a consistent regional and national contender back-to-back eighth place finishes despite losing a handful of their top scorers i mean it's it's really really impressive um and maybe those ninth place finishes but but generally you get the point consistently historically for the past five or so years maybe 10 or so years really consistently strong on the national stage it looks like this is just probably not going to be their year um, I, I know a few people were like, oh, Colorado State, you, you guys missed them in the preseason rankings. You know, I, I think they're probably going to be a bit better next year when they develop some of their younger talent. I generally think they're strong. I just don't know how much firepower they have because you, you look at what their squad ran. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't like there was like a significant or severe drop off, but they just don't have the firepower that they used to. There is no Gerald Mock. There is no... Um, you know, Abby Jefferson or Jefferson Abbey. I don't even ever know what his first name or last name order is. Um, you know, they don't have a Cole Rockhold, you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, not the best race for them. They will be better in the future, but Hey, everyone has an off year. Maybe there's just a bad race, but uh, I guess we'll kind of see. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's any shame in having a rebuilding year and it just seems like that's what they're going through this year. Thoughts on, any sleeper teams at nationals this year? Whew. Um, I think this is actually supposed to be for D2 nationals this year. Um, I, I struggle to maybe 
you know, wonder how many of these teams are actually sleeper teams. Um, the Augustana men uh, are really, really solid. They've done some really great work as of late. They've, you know, taken home some really strong wins and, you know, they've beaten out at least some, some really strong, respectable teams. I don't know if they're going to win, but they're really solid. I mean, they've done some really good work uh, so far this year. I just think they have all the right pieces, at least both up front and in their depth uh, to make some kind of impact. Um, but but really the teams that you see in our top 10 are going to be pretty solid. I know everyone kind of, I don't want to say trashes Queens, but I know some people aren't really a big fan of Queens at our number 10 spot in the rankings. But what you don't know is that they tempoed the first half of their Capital Cross Challenge race, and then they started racing the second half, and they moved up a ton. If you look back at the splits, I mean, it's very clear that's what they were doing. We have sources that suggest that that's exactly what they were doing, tempoing the first half. So Queens might be a 10, but I do think they're better than that. Um, whether or not you know those teams actually challenge for the national title, you know, I'm not sure about that, but they could be better than I do think some people are going to give them credit for. Uh, yeah, sorry. Moving back to some D1 questions. With Taylor, you were uh, committing to Arkansas. When do you think some other big names will be announcing? So usually what we see is that a lot of these big names, in which we've already saw a few of them, we've already saw you know, Evan Holland to Oregon and Evan Bishop to Wisconsin and Alyssa Hendricks to NC State. Uh, of course, now we're referencing Taylor Ewart to Arkansas. Most of these names are going to start coming very, very soon. Um, so you can imagine once their official visits are over, once that, that, if, you know, that commitment period is kind of done, I would imagine by November, December is when a lot of the big, big names are going to happen. Very easily could happen January, February, March, etc. But really for a lot of these big names, at least in my experience for what I have seen, excuse me, those are going to be teams that happen to come later in the, I'd say the next month or so, maybe the next month or two um, as they finish up those official visits. Yeah. I mean, in our, my experience, you see a lot of people finishing up their cross country seasons, finishing up at state championships, which is usually in early November and then either making their decision right before they head off to their uh, Nike regional or footlock regional or right after they're done with those races. So November, early December, I would expect to see a lot of those commitments start rolling in. What are your thoughts on George Cush of Nebraska as being a sleeper for nationals? He's a great pick. Um, I kind of want to see what he's going to do against some legitimate competition this year, but he's a great miler. He has some really strong range. He has underrated foot speed. Um, he's proven that he can be an All-American uh, on the cross-country course, or at least was he an all Ben, correct me. Do you know, was he an All-American last year? In cross? Do Let's let's take a look here. I'm, I want to take a look here because I, I don't want to mislead the listeners, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he was an All-American in cross last year. I mean, he certainly had a, a very, very good uh, track season. He was 55th last 55th. year, so he was right on the bubble. So right um, on the bubble. So, I mean, uh, the way that he's developed over his freshman campaign leads me to believe that the sophomore year should be even better. So... Any, any improvement would put him right in that All-American spot. Agreed. Yeah, I think he's going to be an All-American. Do I think he's going to contend for the title? No, not quite. But would it be shocking if he was top 20? Um, no, I, I wouldn't be stunned. I'd say it'd be a really good performance, but I wouldn't say it'd be uh, shocking by any means. Moving on to some D2 questions. 
is Elisa Burgos, sorry if I messed that up, from so- Southwest Baptist, a sleeper pick for All-American this year? She definitely could be. Um, she's put together some really solid performances. She's made some really great progression uh, from her freshman year. She has a 1,500 PR of 427, um, a 3K PR of 1020. And so far this season, she just finished uh, runner-up at Southern Stampede. She was eighth at Louisville. Um, so she's she's pretty solid. I mean, she has a lot of really great underrated performances Southwest Baptist is is generally a school where every now and then they'll produce a handful of decent individuals, um, but for the most part, yeah, this was this is a pretty decent candidate for an All American position, um, at least top forty. Um, she's shown consistency so far, um, but I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see. Absolutely, is twenty three forty four by Danae Bloomquist of Adams State the fastest eight eight k time in D2 this year? I, I did some really brief looking around and some searching. Um, I, I think maybe the Louisville invite or Louisville Classic was, you know, maybe the the only thing I was trying to look for, seeing if, if anyone had run faster, but I couldn't find anything. Um, I, I would say, I, I, don't, I don't think there is. I've been looking around. From what I can see at the moment, I don't think anyone has run faster. Um, and if they did, it was going to happen at Paul Short, which is where Bloomquist ran that time, or it was going to be at Louisville. Um, and and I, I didn't see any of that happening. So um, so now I, I think it's probably the fastest time in D2 this year. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll be the, the next big name. Next up, thoughts on Eilish's, Eilish Flanagan's win at Paul Short. All right, someone has to like let us know if it's Eilish or Elish because I <laughs> I just consistently go back and forth. I'm like, oh, it's I uh, oof. All right, it's Flanagan. Yeah, um, Flanagan's win, Paul Short. I so I was actually there at Paul Short, um, but I was able to watch the the end of that race there. She looked really strong. She looked very composed at the end there. She took down a handful of really strong, decent individual runners. Um, no one that was maybe necessarily a superstar, but she did beat out the drop sisters who are very strong in their own right. I think we have both of them in our top 50 right now. Um, so I would say this is, I, I dare to call it a statement win, but a really good win for that matter. She is, you know, going to be in contention for that D2 national title. We'll kind of see, you know, how she develops as the season evolves, but, um, that was a really underrated win that I hope people can appreciate uh, for the rest of the season. All right, so we got a few other questions, miscellaneous questions about run, going about the running world. Uh, real quick, give me one or two sentences. Thoughts on Salazar investigation slash verdict? Oh man, uh, this is it's it's such a it's such a tricky balance. Um, all signs point to say that this was a good conviction, that it was good for the sport. Um, the the thing that really tits me off, and by the way, I know you said a sentence or two. I'm going way over that. Um, <laughs> but th- the thing that really tit me off was the testosterone cream uh, allegation and incident. Um, I, I do kind of feel for some of the athletes that are working with Pete Julian and maybe being associated with Oregon Project's other side of this and the athletes who are clean – Yes, it's a tough balance between trying to figure out of knowing what you were doing when you, you signed up for it. But I do struggle, to, you know, when, when feeling bad for some of those athletes that are clean or maybe getting unfairly criticized. But um, in the long run, 
probably good for the sport, assuming that this was an accurate conviction. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I got to keep the sport clean. And if anybody who is not doing that, uh, let's get them out. It's already a uh, tarnished sport in a lot of respects on the professional level. We got to make sure that we're rooting that out. And to an extent, I do feel sympathetic for a lot of the athletes, especially who are coached by Julian, such as uh, Craig Engels, Brazier, um, a lot of those top American guys. But at the same time, to say that you didn't know anything is or know any investigation was going on, it's it, I find that hard to believe considering there's been a lot of smoke around that group lately um over the past few years and to say that you didn't know anything about that um i think rings a little uh hollow so we shall see what the developments go um along the next few weeks um see if any athletes are indicted um but it will certainly be something that we will be talking about and the running world will be talking about for the next few years as uh, Salazar, I'm sure, will appeal and we find out more um, about what he was actually doing. Next question. I'm looking for a running team after college. Can the stride report help? Oof. Uh, man, I, this is a good question. Um, go on Google. Type Dude. in yeah, local running teams around your area. Uh, a lot of running stores will sometimes have clubs. Sometimes small entry fees, sometimes it's free, just kind of all depends. But uh, man, I, I'm, I'm, not in, I'm not entirely sure. Ben, what do you got? <laughs> uh, does the Stride Report have a, a club team? I, I Actually, think that may, we're, that on Strava. Be... <laughs> we're on Strava. If you, if you want to go join us there, we're on Strava. Sam Ivanecki, uh, one of our contributors, set it up. I don't even ever use Strava. So, but you know, if, if you're on there, go, go uh, join us on there. So, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's, you can join the Stroud Report Strava Club. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't really have much to add. I, um, if anybody wants to pick me up uh, on their running team after I graduate, reach out to me and then maybe we can pass along that information. Yeah. Um, do we have any plans on doing event rankings in the spring for track best 800 team, 10 K team, etc.? Um, so I don't know if we're necessarily going to be doing best 800 team or 10 K team. Um, I think for indoors, what we'll probably end up doing is similar last year's, you know, top individuals regardless of event. So anything from the 800 up, um, we'll probably be doing that kind of interesting maybe is the best distance teams, uh, in the distance events, excuse me, also being 800 and up. Um, so we'll explore that, but in terms of actually figuring out which teams are the best specifically in each event that's usually just something that we can look at from at times and you know just looking down the descending order list on tfers so you know i'm not necessarily sure we'll do it by event but i think we'll probably do some variation of you know top individuals and then maybe we'll explore the idea of doing some top teams just from the general distance side of 800 and up yeah sounds good i i think uh you and I were doing the rankings last year on the track side and definitely yeah. looking forward to maybe clarifying maybe the criteria on that and getting back into uh, figuring out uh, how to decide between a top five 800 runner and a top five 5K runner. That's always a tough decision on where to rank those guys. Um, lastly, any merch coming soon? 
we're slowly starting discussions. Um, guys, here's just how here's how we can get merch to you. Let us know that you want it. That's the biggest thing. We got to know that we have enough demand. Um, B, I'm trying to figure out in terms of distribution if we can actually meet it on a consistent basis. Um, and then, you know, also C, trying to figure out what we would offer for what price, uh, the variety. You know, if we're going to do it, we want to do it right. And we want to make sure that it's it's reasonable, but also kind of, you know, giving us um, something to, to kind of reinvest back into this site there. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to want to get the word out. Definitely want to try to get you guys some some gear and merch to make available. Um, we're, it's in the it's in the works. Trying to figure it out, but uh, but we'll we'll let you guys know as the time gets closer, and uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. I know I got my Strider Report shirt, and it's awesome. So it would be sweet if we could do more stuff like that. But Garrett, I mean, another way that they can help us out besides bringing more and more views to the site, which we really appreciate, but another way that we can help grow the Stride Report brand and hopefully be able to get merch out to people is if you guys can listen to the podcast, share the podcast, and most importantly, if you guys can give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, that really gets uh, the word out and helps us move up along whatever algorithm Apple uses uh, to promote their podcast. We're on Spotify, follow us on Spotify, listen to us on SoundCloud. There's a bunch of different ways that you can listen to us, so you don't get, you guys don't have any excuse for not listening to the Blue Oval podcast. We really appreciate all the um, listens that you guys have been giving us, all the um, page views. We really appreciate everybody coming to the site, listening to the podcast. But again, tell everybody that you can. We appreciated all the mailbag questions. Keep them coming. This is a really good crop of questions. I think we can do even better next week. What do you think, Garrett? Man, if we get any more questions, we're going to have to start, uh, you know, making that entry period a little bit smaller. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm uh, super pumped for that. Love that everyone's spreading the word. And uh, uh, yeah, go leave that rate and review. It really, really, really does help us. Go spread the word. Because uh, remember, the faster that you guys spread the word, the more content and more things we can do, the bigger we grow. And who knows, maybe we can... Uh, you know, make this something more than just a, a really cool passion project for a lot of us. So uh, we'll, we'll see, but uh, I'm, I'm really happy with where everything's going and uh, I'm excited to kind of get a few of the, a few of the projects underway. Absolutely. All right, man. It was good talking to you, Garrett until next time. I'll talk to you. See you, bud.